now still a good time for us to chit chat for a little bit? Yep. I love that. And are you in New York right now? Uh, I'm in DC right now. You are? Oh, I'll be there tomorrow. Whereabouts in DC are you? Uh, I'm right outside Catholic University. Oh, very. I used to walk to their campus when I lived at 16th and Spring. I'd walk there and go to mass sometimes or during COVID, I had nothing else to do. So I was like, you know, (laughs) it was a good three and a half mile walk. So it definitely got my steps in, right? Hey, absolutely. Yeah. So what's what's bringing you down uh, down there? I have an internship at the Catholic Mobilizing Network. So they do anti-death penalty stuff. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I love that. Have you visited down there before? I I applied to Catholic actually. So I had um I toured campus and then I did my musical theater audition. Ooh, that's so much fun. Well, if you haven't been to Busboys and Poets, it's right near the uh campus. They're just an excellent uh cool fun spot. I they don't they don't even, you know, they're not paying you. I just giving them a free shout out. Yeah. Hey, there you go. But they're fantastic. And of course, you know, you've got to go to mass at the shrine. It's just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I go to mass there when you can, right? Right. Um, well, I love that you um, have a few minutes to come on and chat with me. So before we get going, I'm just using this as a prop. I'm getting new here with all these things. So I figure it's kind of fun and it kind of shows off my uh, my rings and my jewelry there. So it kind of gives you a little bit more for the show, right? Right. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to spend a few minutes maybe talking about maybe what I'm trying to do with my project other than what I alert to you. And then obviously we'll chat for a few more minutes after that and put some uh, content up on on my show there. And, and as I had mentioned to you, you know, I think it's really important to talk with allies of as much as it is to talk about people who might be considered directly in the, in the efforts themselves. Right. Does that sound okay to you? Absolutely. Awesome. So Anna, just a little bit before uh, we get really rocking and rolling, although I learned last week, my first interview ever with a teamster out in Hollywood. And he's like, Tony, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. I said, you're, you're in Hollywood. Give me all the advice you want. And he's like, <laughs> record the whole thing, always, always. And then just go back and slice it up when you're done. And I was like, all right, well, I wouldn't have guessed that. He's like, yeah, you'll be fine. Don't don't worry about it. So that's why it's still recording now. But obviously, I'll send you um, what's, you know, the raw, the edited, and, and then what's ready to rock and roll. Make sure it's good with you. Sure. Uh, but just a little about the project I'm trying to do here with Labor Pains is, you know, be a little bit different than maybe some of the other folks that are out there. And it's funny, I actually found your podcast. I listened a couple times before I even started about doing this project. I was at Mass and I, you were in the bulletin. I was so cool. I was like, no way. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So I have to admit, sometimes I have to hop on Mass times. I'm like, ah, I don't feel like going today. And I'm like, who is have who has Mass tomorrow? I think it was St. Peter um, in downtown Richmond, an old, old cathedral there. And they had a little pamphlet. And it was like, check uh, check it out. And I was like, all right, well, that's cool. And it's like, Amazing. oh, this guy, this guy lady's at Fordham. I, at first, and then I, I tuned in. And I was like, she's not an undergrad at Fordham, is she? Are you an undergrad? I just graduated. You did? Oh, May. congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. But, okay, basically you were an undergraduate. And I thought, you know, this has got to be a, a PhD level student recording this program and doing this. Like this is this is phenomenal. And then I was reading and I said, Anna's she's a senior. Come on, like in New York City and she's she's doing this. Like get out of here. Um, so that's very impressive. I just have to let you know. I think that that's super cool, and you should be really proud of yourself for for even doing that work. Um, and then I saw you. You were 
podcast on the Labor Radio Podcast Network as well. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're a really great collection of, of labor podcasts. Is that right? Yeah, no, they have a great catalog going. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed, and it kind of helped me feel good about my project because I don't like the idea of saturating a space. It seems like a lot of those uh, podcasts were really generated by and probably for people in specific unions, or a lot of them were locals doing a podcast, or they, they were the, the national or the international organization, but they were really aiming to help um, connect with people that are already in their organization that really just are looking for a consumable form of media that makes sense to them. And I, and I love that. So to me, I thought, you know, that's already out there, right? There's already these wonderful people that are taking care of going through the nuances of, of organizing and um, staying tuned to political and situational developments as they occur in maybe more mainstream media channels. I, as you might have seen, am trying to organize and maybe chat with a group of hotel workers in Richmond. And, um, you know, you're only 100 miles north from me right now. But if you've never been to Richmond, Virginia before, I would say, I don't know, come down for a weekend maybe. Uh, maybe a long weekend, but it is very much still the capital of the Confederacy down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on top of a giant, if I were to turn my camera around, I'm on top of a giant police station. Um, and it's one of many. It's in a neighborhood, you know, that's pretty rough. And you can definitely tell this is not a city where they're interested in social justice mm-hmm. uh, so much as they are good old fashioned cops and robbers and crime and punishment, right? So I thought, you know, because I'm coming from such a different kind of a place, maybe than a New York City or a Chicago or even a Washington, D.C., I think it's important when I connect with workers to remember that they are not nearly as exposed to unions and organizing as maybe some other folks. Right. And so as we chat further, I would just uh, I, I would just love it if you kind of remember that maybe the folks that I'm connecting with. You know, they're not familiar with things like the NLRB or the National Labor Relations Act or an, a ULP, an unfair labor practice. Uh, they don't know what a shop steward is. They don't know that everybody has a right to a contract. So these are very still new ideas. And so when I ask questions of you or maybe talk about labor and, and organizing, just kind of remember it's really at a – an entry level, uh, a 100 level course uh, to the recent college graduate that you might might think of when I talk about labor. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And honestly, like, you know, as a, as a labor ally, rather than somebody who's in the weeds, I am very much, I also don't know what a shop steward is. So the, you're doing good work. And like, it's, it is important to have like, conversations that are accessible to people. Um, I, my aunt listened to my podcast and she was like, yeah, I had to put it away uh, for a little bit because it was a little academic. And I just didn't realize that somebody mentioned that it was nerdy in a good way. I just didn't realize it because I've been around like the academic language and discussion for a while. And it's important to like workers might not have that education. They might not know about work like it, but they should still know their rights. I I love that. And I love your aunt, too, because, you know, that was the other thing that's different. And I noticed is all of the other good stuff that's out there. I mean, don't feel ashamed. Podcasts were sort of built for nerds, probably like you and me. Right. I mean, I was an engineer at the Oh, sorry, my mirror is on. I was an engineer at this. uh, I can't point to my tenant right now. But, you know, I was an engineer. Right. 
um, didn't graduate, got bunked out. And that's why, you know, I think God was heavily involved in that. And he's like, you're going to go work with working people for 15 years and we have different plans for you. And it's like, all right, Lord, well, I feel pretty fucked, but that's cool. <laughs> um, but yes, I think you're a hundred percent right in that so many times the podcasts and the productions that are out there are excellent for people that really need to and want to get into the details. I'm going to try to keep it simple and really talk about the fact that like either you're the guy that signs the checks or you're not, right? Like mm. that to me is a quick way of thinking about labor, right? Either yeah. it's your checkbook or it's not your checkbook. And for a lot of us, it's not our checkbook. We're kind of begging for it, living paycheck to paycheck. So Anna, um, I, if that makes sense, I'm going to go ahead and maybe get into it. Could you please just take a moment to introduce yourself and the work that you've been doing for your podcast? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Anna Nowak. I'm a recent graduate from Fordham University, where I majored in music theology, uh, and I did the concentration program in American Catholic Studies. I host the podcast All Who Labor. Uh, in its first season, it looked about it looked at uh, the intersection between labor activism, Catholicism, and some of the recent labor issues that had arisen with the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm currently on season two, which is looking at recent labor activity at Fordham University. That's fantastic. And for those of you who don't know, and I think everybody knows this about me that's going to watch, like I was a Catholic school kid for 12 years, 13, you include kindergarten, can't forget Sister Joyce. She was she was fantastic. She's really the first person in my life to curb my ego and have <laughs> zero tolerance for my intellectual <laughs> arrogance. That Somehow, as a five and six year old, she uh, she put me in place. And and thank you, Sister Joyce, if you're still out there. I think she is still out there, so that's great. So I am, you know, I, I as I mentioned to you earlier, I try to be a good Catholic. Um, it's a one of these times when you're in D.C. You have to go check out. It's in Arlington outside, but our late Queen of Peace, Father Tim, is just a phenomenal Catholic priest. They're one of the few Catholic churches affiliated with the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy some good friends of mine and uh, they're they're a very pro worker group and they they just like you said their, their focus is um making sure workers know their rights and father tim at our lady queen of peace they're very active like that so i i, I love i love that and that's why i was super excited to kind of chat with you because one thing anna you know a lot of our people that might be listening to this or might be hearing about organizing down here with me they don't know anything about labor but they do know a lot about going to church growing up. Uh, many of them, especially I think you know the folks that would identify as maybe part of the Hispanic or Latin community, they grew up some kind of Catholic, probably <laughs> more lapsed these days than not. Um, and I can understand that in, in a lot of ways. I, I empathize. But they have grown up with the tradition of the Bible, right? The, the Old and the New Testaments. Although I think some of these churches is more New Testament. They should, they should turn the page back and remember... Uh, how justice used to be doled out back in the day. So can you talk to me as a labor ally, but a, a Catholic scholar, it seems, can you talk to me about what it means to be a Catholic or a follower of Christ, especially at a Jesuit institution, and how that affects your sort of desire to be an ally for laborers? Yeah. I think one of the things that really impacted me uh, one of the things that I really liked about Ignatian spirituality is this emphasis on discernment. Um, and I took a class about discernment as a part of the Catholic studies program, kind of looking towards what, um, you know, where your gifts are suited to the world's needs. 
Uh, and there's this emphasis on helping people uh, and being having gifts that are are able to serve the world. And I think careers can do that, and I think work can do that. But a lot of that's not how I'm sure a lot of people feel. Um, if if you're being exploited at work, you probably don't feel like, oh, this is exactly where God wants me to be and what he wants me to do, be doing. Um, like God doesn't want you to be exploited at work. Um, and yeah, there's a whole, uh, the, you can look to the Bible. I focus a lot in my first season on Catholic social teaching, which is a body of, um, you know, papal documents that talk about, uh, social issues and the real first one that came out was called Rerum Novarum in 1891 and was responding to uh, the exploitation of workers in the industrial revolution. Things were changing a lot and the Pope was like, oh, we should, we should probably talk about this. And it did, it, it touched on unionization and uh, the importance of workers' rights. So you have this foundational element um, of, you know, workers' rights within a church and it, not just that but like people spend eight hours of their day at work that's too much time to just bracket off as something that doesn't have a spiritual element to it or doesn't relate to the the loving relationships that we should all be building with each other um that doesn't relate to justice it it, it absolutely does and if so people spend like eighty thousand hours of their lives at work some bonkers number like that and that's that is a place where you can develop relationships with people and it is a place where you can find fulfillment um and it is a place where you should be treated justly and you should be paid for the work that you do justly um you shouldn't experience harassment you should like work isn't something that should just be bracketed off um and i think it's really important that we don't do that as as people of faith but as uh people of conscience in general and i, and I love that you know you've raised such a great point anna when you when you talk about how much time a human being in america today is going to spend at quote their workplace however they define that and there's a lot of ways to do that but certainly the folks who labor that tends to still be at a physical site, right? Mm. Um, and so, for example, I was in hospitality. I loved in one of your episodes, you were talking with um, one of that lovely uh, lady who wor had worked at OSHA, right? And had been the their chief of staff. I forget her. Debbie Berkowitz? Debbie Berkowitz. Yeah, yep. she was great. Um, and, and I love that she talked about the Jewish tradition of, of being pro-labor, too. I love that my dear friend, um, and, and I'll say he's a mentor of mine, David Broder, he's the president of SCIU 512. He uh, mm. he talks about his, his Jewish faith quite a bit, and it's wonderful. It's really the overlap that he and I share as we talk about how I kind of got into this. Because for me, you know, one of the things that I think you brought up, and I've heard you talk with with some, with some of your guests, is you know where does that obligation stem from if mm. you are going to be in a workplace? And I just and I'd love to hear your thought on this. I don't ha know how anybody can feel like they've got an obligation to their coworker or fellow human being if they don't have a spiritual foundation. Mm. Like, How is it that you even could think about caring for somebody else if you don't sort of feel that we're all connected through some sort of more spiritual way? What do you, what do you think about that? 
in a way, I feel like maybe love is something that comes naturally to people. Oh, like certainly. even if you can't, you can't, you don't necessarily have that spiritual uh, spiritual foundation that you can name. I think you can say like, oh, like it's it's just easy to love this person and to like wish their well being. Yeah. And I do wonder if I, I I've been seeing a lot about like you know, your, the people you work with are your, your friends or your colleagues. They're not your friends. And I, I, I understand that to some degree, especially with you know the way that, uh, oh, we're not just colleagues. We're a family. Like the way that can be used to exploit people. Terrible garbage exploitation. Yeah. Terrible. Um, but you, you don't stop being able to form relationships just because you're in a workplace um, and you do have this connection with people uh, just by the fact that, you know, you're all living in this world. And if, if you're at work, you're working for a common goal, uh, which is a really cool place to be in. To, uh, I, I want to say, say it was C.S. Lewis. I may be wrong. C.S. Lewis, who talked about, um, see, this is the academic that. <laughs> I love that. We, we love C.S. Lewis. Yeah, you betcha. Let's hear C.S. Lewis. Um, I think he talks about philia as like the 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 friend love of friendship, but also yeah. like of working together for a goal. Um, and it it can be thrilling to like really uh kind of have that synergy with other people and work together for a goal. That feeling of being on a team is pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and, and you can maybe sense the connection that you have with other people there. Uh, and maybe work is one of a, a unique place to do that because you do have a goal, like a clearly set up goal. Oftentimes you want to turn to unions, uh, which really focus on that, uh, connectedness because it, it's not just working together towards a goal within the, the job, but working together for the livelihoods of other people, um, at lifting that up as your own, which is one of the things I, I was talking to a, a bargainer, or bargainer? Is that a word? A bargainer, right? We make up <laughs> words here on labor fans. We don't care. Um, for uh, the Fordham graduate student workers. And she's not an immigrant student herself, but she talks about like bringing their needs to the bargaining table because when you're in a union, you're working you're you're working to create a contract that works as best it can for everyone and maybe that means sacrifices for some people but like you are recognizing that you are all in this together which is awesome that's awesome you know i love the way that you explain that sort of feeling of love and i we'll we'll, we'll say it's cs lewis or saint thomas aquinas <laughs> you know who, who's like saying someone uh, said it <laughs> but you're absolutely right and, and that kind of reminds you like you know, I think modern society out there will give you a million ways to tell you that you are nothing more than a an evolved monkey uh, that has some electrical impulses running through its brain. But, you know, a child can be like, nah, I love, you know, I love, yeah. feel, I love. It's like, well, they're proof of our divine nature, they're proof of our being an image of God, right? Through our, through our higher connection to the to the source, you betcha. And and I love that you kind of segued into talking about Fordham. And that's another reason I really wanted to talk to you having just been a, an undergraduate student there, but also seeing sort of uh, maybe other institutions of, of higher learning where there are union efforts afoot and maybe they're going better than some places, you know, than, than, than better or not in some places, right? And mm -hmm. I thought about your chat with um, 
brother Ben, I think, is a Georgetown, right? Uh, Ken. Brother, brother Ken. Ken. Brother Ken. Brother no Ken Georgetown. <laughs> yeah, so sorry about that, Brother Ken. And, and I, I liked his uh, candor, for one. I really appreciated mm -hmm. that. So let me ask you kind of a similar question is, you know, these Jesuit institutions, and if you don't know about the Jesuits, they're great. Like I had a Jesuit president for a couple of years in my high school. My high school was not a Jesuit high school, but this Jesuit came in. He had been the president of Spring Hill College uh, down in Alabama, and I think he was semi-retired. He, he, he passed away long after, uh, a few, not long after mm -hmm. I graduated. Sad thing. He's a great guy. Um, but he really, you know, he, he would talk about, oh, you know, I go to Georgetown. I hang out at Fordham. All these wonderful things, and and that's great, but well, let me ask you this. I went to a very secular institution. I can't point, you know, this this one, I can't, still can't point at my pen right there. They don't talk about any sort of way that a human being should give back to society. They're like, come here for the Ivy League education, go make some money, and maybe you feel like donating it to us. But we don't really care how you treat other people. We don't care about the fact that, you know, you're going to an elite academic institution and you probably ought to do something good with your life from it. I don't know, maybe. But... My understanding is that schools like Fordham or Georgetown, they do have an emphasis on social justice that they try to deploy to everyone who's a student there. What, what's your experience with that been like? Yeah, I I think it's tragic that any school that doesn't emphasize giving back, not just to your school and monetary donations, but to society at large, like that that's what life's about is is doing and being good um so that makes me a little sad um i think yeah jesuit in, uh, institutions there there are a couple jesuit uh phrases that get thrown out um like contemplatives in action so being thoughtful uh, but also you know working for for change in the world uh being men and women for others it has recently been uh, changed to men and women for and with others. So focusing more on the, the solidarity and trying to steer away from some of the patronizing feeling that, that can come up with that. Um, but yeah, there is this emphasis. And I, I think I particularly experienced this as a theology major because I was, I was diving into these questions already. Um, but that, you know, you you are, you should be doing good in the world. Um, and maybe your education is directly a part of that. Um, I actually just check out my first episode of season two. Uh, I, I talked to one of the women who works at the Office of Mission Integration, Vanessa Rotondo. Um, and she talks about how, uh, you know, in, in her view, like if, if your education isn't preparing you to go outwards, uh, if it's just education for the sake of learning content, then then it's not doing its job. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think we really should be educated, particularly in business, um, particularly for the future bosses of the world, that yeah. you, you should be focused on, on the human person. What is, it shouldn't just be on money. It can't just be on money because what, well, once you meet your your needs, like your necessities to survive, which is good. Surviving is great. Living is great. Um, but like once you get beyond that point, like how much is money really worth? You know, I, I love that point because 
isn't it ironic that the people who go to school and if you're not watching this, I, I you know this this podcast is made to be watched, not listened to, but everyone's going to listen on Spotify or Apple. Which is cool. <laughs> but I'm using air quotes here, saying that the people who learn business or I don't know receive a master's in business administration. I hear that's a popular uh, racist way to waste your time. Um, they abuse money the most, right? Those mm -hmm. are the people that could literally explain to you that a human being cannot spend like more than a million, a couple million dollars a year on them. They just can't. I mean, you're seeing all my shoes here behind me and stuff. I'm a snob. I can spend money like a, you know, a, a drunken poet on payday. I know how to do it and I'm pretty good at it. You lived in New York. I could go up and down Fifth Avenue right oh, now gosh. and spend a lot of money. I really could. I could even buy my best friend some stuff with me. I really, we could stay at St. Regis. Great place, by the way. Stay at the St. Regis if you're in New York. It's wonderful. At the same time, the compensation that people at like Amazon or Netflix or wherever at the very top, they could buy out Saks on Fifth Avenue. They could buy it out multiple times in, in a year. They just could. And they would, wouldn't know what to do with it. And they're the ones that, quote, understand money, unquote. That's crazy. So I'm super glad you, you brought that up, which kind of leads me to another question I had for you, having kind of just been in the academic space, but also the youthful space. What do you get the sense of maybe peers of yours, uh, maybe not in theology, maybe just having attended Fordham with you, and you know, maybe you didn't go to all the classes together, but you certainly, I'm sure, made some friends outside of theology, it, maybe in music, right? What's their perception these days on a New York City college campus about what it means to have a solid, great education from a, you know, a very well-known, respected school like Fordham? And what's their obligation as they sort of become adults in the workplace? That is a good question. And it's one that I can only speculate on. Sure. Because I did spend a lot of time in the theology sphere. I think... My generation has a very strong um, instinct for social justice, uh, an instinct to enact change in the world. Um, I I don't think that's much of the time. I don't think that's based in uh, religious sentiment. Um, I also think that sometimes it can be more about taking a side. Um, mm. the need to take a side or, or to feel like you're a part of something at this, like, which is, which is sketchy at the same time. If, if what you're taking a side on is like, Hey, we should stop climate change. There are worse things than that. Um, yes, I, I do think there is this sense that man, we, we should care about people. Um, it's, we shouldn't exploit people we should make sure that people's needs are are being met i remember i went to a um a sunrise movement meeting um which is a i think it's like a youth-led climate change meeting and i i decided that it wasn't quite for me just the way that they were uh explaining things but it, it was very focused on okay we're talking about climate change but really more than that we want this to be an inclusive community we want um to ensure that it is an anti-racist community and that the world that we're trying to create together is one that values uh, black and brown lives. Uh, we want, they, they mentioned where we want a, there to be good union jobs. 
was like, oh my gosh, I, I, I was kind of unprepared for it. And on one level, it, it did feel like it could have been just like, okay, these are the things that I've heard we're supposed to say. Um, but at the same time, they are like, there's this vision of a world where people are valued, um, where, where people are really cared about and treated decently that, and, and maybe, I don't know, a mix of cynicism and, and hopefulness that Gen Z can bring. Um, and also like ironic absurdity, cause that seems to be our sense of humor. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question or not. Well, you, you know, I love that you brought up a few ideas, one of which was, um, you know, I think there is sort of a young person in general sort of vibe towards justice as an idea, mm. right? I think that's really fair to say. You brought up a pet peeve of mine, and I don't know if this is going to make it past this conversation or it's going to only be on the full thing, but one of my challenges, so, you know, I, I sort of had this moment about a year ago where I was just doing this work and I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I can't, I can't keep working for these owners going after these poor women of color, black, brown women, and trying to chop their hours down um, as part of an, quote, educational you know, process with the managers on teaching them how to labor control. Like that's, that's a phrase you should watch out for in any business mm. setting is when they talk about labor controls and productivity. Like that's just racist baloney for slashing hours to people that aren't white men. Um, so watch out. But, you know, I, I had that moment because it was built on a fundamental sense of my Catholicism or spiritual connection to God. Um, because it, 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 but it didn't come generationally, right? So I would say that you are at an advantage. You know, I think about people my age, um, I'm 36, and admittedly, I was in a fraternity in college. You know, you surround yourself with a bunch of boys that watched Wall Street. You don't know what that is because you're too young, but it was a it was a movie where, you know, they, they said, grief for better or lack of whatever is good. And um, mm. what's his name? Michael Douglas, play, it was in there. The movie, of course, if you watch it, is about how greed is bad, and the Michael Douglas character, you know, doesn't do well at the end. But nobody ever watched is the end of the movie they just they just love uh you know the, pretending that they're Walt, gordon gecko but it's it's fine so i will say your you know your generation definitely seems better about it than mine but i like your point that they sort of picture this world and maybe they don't think about the the labor and the people being like the number one component it's mm -hmm. sort of like a piece in the puzzle and that's another reason i was so happy to talk with you and i'm so glad to see somebody who is like here to talk about the birds and the breeze and the trees you know the and, and make sure that the people around them are in good shape like no the people are first you know like it's great that you care about the sky and the climate and everything burning down and falling in but like you know one of my things is like if you're a ups truck driver right now and you're delivering some stupid thing that some rich white girl ordered on prime and you're in a hot tin can driving around with no AC, like, what do you care about rising tides? Like, your life is already crappy. Like, if you're cleaning 20 rooms a day because you work for Shameen Hotels in Richmond, Virginia, and Neil Amin and his dad have a whip behind you going, work mm -hmm. harder, you know, you brown girl. Like, what do you care about the fact that the temperature's been five degrees higher on average, blue who, blah, blah. Like, that doesn't mean anything to you. You can't put food on your table. You can't barely get home. You don't really want to be alive. Like, what kind of life you're living? So I do think it's really important that people say, you know, social justice first, right? Like, maybe if we sent more poor children or children from poor families, working families to 
Fordham University, for example, they would probably be the kids that are going to solve climate issues. They're going to be young people that come up with all sorts of innovations in the business arena to do a better job of delivering both, you know, profit and uh, a quality of life for people. Or they will be the future leaders of labor unions because they remember when their mom was driving a truck for Amazon or their dad was the maintenance guy at a hotel, like getting shat on fucking 30 hours a, a you know a day that kind of a thing so i am really right. glad that you said that uh, I I know where yeah go ahead please sorry no, please. real quick yeah i i think it is important like i i don't want to to say that climate change is not a big issue because it very much is and as as a gen z person like i think we're particularly attuned to that but i think there is so much room um for people to do different work. And I think labor is one of those things that gets pushed by the wayside. When if you like look at something like greed and, and tackling you, you know the spiritual poison of greed, if, if you combat this mindset that we just have to keep on making things and we just need more, you're probably going to help the environment and you're probably going to help people at the same time. And I think those solutions are amazing uh, and, and we should be working on those. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more, Anna. If you tackle um, well, I guess it, you know it had been historically called the seven deadly sins. Although I, I think that's more of a an anecdotal kind of a thing. I'm not going to lean too heavy into that. But yes, if you cured those mindsets in human hearts and minds, climate change issues would be resolved. Poverty and other sort of symptomatic issues of greed and fear would be resolved. There's no doubt about that. I think you're absolutely right. I know I'm at your time, and I know you're in, in D.C., so you probably want to go, you know, like I said, you're probably going over to Busboys and Poets for <laughs> one of their killer flatbreads and a glass of wine or something. A question for you. As a lot of the folks that I want to talk with, and I, I wish you would kind of uh, be more um, open to hearing me, unfortunately, they are plagued by one of those other sort of um, – systemic problems that are a spiritual problem and that's the problem of fear right mm. and in catholic tradition you know they talk a lot about fear and our, our social teachings you know our, our scripture talks a lot about what it means to be afraid and when you are afraid you know whom should you trust you should put your trust in the lord not anybody else and i believe that firmly it's worked for me thus far so my question for you is if you were could say something to a worker right now who is thinking about unionizing, or, or maybe they've been hearing a lot of bad stuff about union. That's probably more accurate. You know, they might have heard one one thing good about a union, but then the boss, um, who, you know, sends his henchman in and goes, say every bad thing you can about a union. What does somebody like Anna, who is not in a union, who is not, a, you know, organizing a union, but who is a, a, a lay ally for those folks who labor, what would you say to them? I would say you you shouldn't be mistreated at work. Um, you deserve a fair pay. And maybe unionizing isn't just for yourself with the people around you. Working for that common goal and that filial love together, first off, you might find more fulfillment than you do at your job. Um, but also, it it is important that you get paid fairly. Um, that That matters a lot. And if you're Catholic, uh, check out a church teaching on unionization if if you're worried about that in any sense. Um, but you you deserve to be treated fairly at work 